there will be me sipping coffee on this recording. I'm sorry. That's, that's the, just that's the way the it is. Tone of I, this. So, I think it's kind of cool. We're kind of like more conversational mm-hmm. today, right? Like, I dig it. Well, that killed the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the StoryGrid Editor Roundtable Podcast. This is usually a show dedicated to helping you become a better writer, but we all just got back from the StoryGrid Editor Certification course in Nashville, and we're eager to discuss the experience. So in this episode, we talk about our intensive week-long training with Sean Coyne and Tim Grawl and share some of the voices of the new group of students who are hoping to become StoryGrid certified editors themselves. This episode runs a little longer than usual because we wanted to feature as many of the new voices as we could. What we have here is a conversation among adults, and you may encounter some adult language. So join Kim, Leslie, Jari, Valerie, and me for a casual conversation about an inspiring learning experience starting right now. What did you all think about the week? Have you all recovered? Are you all over your story grid hangover yet? I'm getting there. I, I needed the whole week to get sort of rested and back to normal from all the buzz and excitement and all that we learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm about the same. Took me a week to just feel normal again. And we weren't even teaching. I don't know about you, but I did a certain amount of teaching during the breaks. I mean, people were asking me questions and picking my brain. I mean, you know, I was on pretty much the whole time. Yeah, it's like you're just on the whole time trying to be available to people and just aware of people's needs. Like it's it's very intense, right? It feels like um, what I imagine, Valerie, you would feel after a like marathon, right? Where you're like, oh my God, that was the hardest thing ever, but I feel so great about it. It is exhausting, but it's a good type of exhausting. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And I certainly didn't mind fielding however many questions people had because to be honest, I kind of wish we'd had us to talk to when we did our training, right? You know, people who had gone through it already, who had a bit of experience under their belt, who could tell us what's in store for us after we leave this week. Of course, what's in store for the new group is a little bit different than what was in store for us after the week. So so there are some, some new and fresh expectations of certification. And I thought that was really an interesting and powerful point that... Those of us who were there last time and already certified need to recertify and bring up our skill level and our proof of knowledge, along with the new people who have to prove it for the first time. I think that's really important because if you go to any other industry, okay, where they have some sort of professional certification, you have to keep that certification fresh. And they usually have, you know, there's an increment. You have to do it every year, every two years, every five years, whatever the industry feels is necessary. And, you know, if you're working for a corporation, the corporation kind of dictates ongoing training for you. But of course, as writers and editors, we run our own businesses. We're all independent owners who are just certified through StoryGrid. So the onus is on us to keep our skills fresh and to keep practicing them. And of course, the five of us have this podcast, right? This is our study group and we're coming up on two years of studying Woo! together. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Two years, wow. Yeah, of every week. It's so weird to think back where we were. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the beginning. I was telling some people this while we were there when we we're meeting over the summer, how we would argue about where the beginning hook would end and where the middle build would end. And like we couldn't even see the lines. And now we can kind of like, yeah, okay, that's not the most important part understanding where things are at in the hierarchy of give a shit. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. <laughs> I'm Marissa Frosch. I'm from New Hampshire. Is the Story Good Certification training what you thought it would be? It's so much more. I, I can't even begin to explain. Like, I, I thought it was going to be, you know, a deep dive, but it turns out we're going, like, Mediterranean Trench or whatever the trench is, Mariana Trench. (laughs) So Leslie, what were your thoughts of Nashville? Well, it was fantastic and at times overwhelming. And there were a couple of things for me that were 
just big moments. And, and one is, is working with cognitive dissonance, which is, of course, it's the life value within the worldview internal genre where something isn't quite right, where like you get new information and it doesn't quite fit with the old information and you have to somehow resolve that if you want to move forward. That came up in the context of inciting incidents. But in the end, the really important thing, I think, is to keep working through it, right? Keep engaging, keep reading, take a break when your brain is overloaded. But when there is information that doesn't quite seem to fit, don't just dismiss it and don't stay stuck in the cognitive dissonance and frustration, but keep working with the material, keep studying, keep looking at other examples and, and, and continue making sense of it because questions will arise. Kim was saying earlier that we struggled with, well, where does the beginning hook end and where does the middle build end and all of that in the beginning? And we just kept working with it. And that is so vital to this. I mean, Sean's not resting on his laurels, right? And Tim, the same way. It's not like, oh, okay, I've got a, I've got story figured out, and so I'm good. No, he keeps reading and consuming more information, more ideas, more consideration about like how can this add to my understanding of story, and how can I then share this with other people so they can better understand story and tell better stories. So that was really inspiring and a good reminder for me that when I get stuck in cognitive dissonance, when I have a question, rest my brain again when it becomes overwhelming, but keep engaging because it's really important. And we do move on and get to a better place on the other side of it. That's a really interesting sentence that you just said. When we catch ourselves saying, okay, I understand story now. And then we rest on our laurels. That's like a flag. As soon as we catch ourselves saying, okay, yeah, well, I got this now. All that really means, and this is something I've learned from studying with you guys for two years. What that means is you understand this much information, but now it's time to go to the next level of information. Because just like you said, Sean leveled himself up this time. And that was very inspiring. You know, he doesn't know it all. He recognized that there was a gap in his knowledge. And so he went and challenged himself to fill it. He's leading by example in that way, I think. Absolutely. And for me, one of the high points of the week, and there were several, was his fresh commitment to making a point of studying women's voices in literature because he recognized that that was a a weakness in his in his studies and he's out and out said and we talked about it with him on our interview with him that we aired last week that you know he recognizes that 70% of the people in his course are women that women make up the majority of readers, at least in this country. And he needed to acknowledge that women's voices in writing are different. And he made a point of beginning with the 1880s, I think, and working through the decades of women, American women writers. He was focused on American. And I was deeply impressed by that fresh, new level of of commitment to diverse voices in his courses. I thought it was a big step in a really good direction and I was excited about it. I studied writing in college and uh, got part of an MFA in creative writing. And I was pretty good at the line by line, but I always felt like there's something that's missing in my stories and I don't know what it is and nobody's really talking about it. They seem to just kind of get it mm -hmm. and I don't really kind of get it. <laughs> and then I subscribed to Seth Godin's blog. Okay. And so he said, I have this friend, his name's Sean Coyne, and he's got this story grid method. I immediately recognized this is the thing. Oh, this great. is the thing that I didn't get taught that is one of the components that you need to really understand as a writer. And it doesn't really matter where you start in your study. It doesn't matter what level you are when you come to StoryGrid. Like when I first discovered it, all I, I mean, I had one book done, but all I really knew was that I wanted to write stories. 99% of it was brand new material. So some people are coming into it like me, not knowing <laughs> anything. 
so you start from wherever you are and go from there. I mean, obviously Sean is at a much higher level, but he is still working from where he is and going from there. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to to mention, you know, of course, Sean talked a lot this time about reading widely, reading deeply and reading widely. So within your genre and then outside of your genre. And it occurred to me that in my former profession as a lawyer, if someone were to say, oh yeah, I just don't, I don't read cases in my area of practice. <laughs> like what? <laughs> right. Like right. That, that, that would be preposterous. You mean lawyers can't just invent new law because they feel like it? <laughs> well, <laughs> some of them do. It depends on your lawyers. But the point is that you know, that you need to read the stuff that's outside your genre, your area of focus, whether you're a writer or an editor, because outside helps you innovate and think of new ways of executing the same obligatory scenes and conventions. And then reading deeply within the genre helps you to understand what readers expect. And just like there is in law, there are changing standards and changing expectations, and we really need to stay up with them. So we need to understand the foundation, the classics, but we also need to understand how the genres and how story is changing so we can continue to serve our clients as editors and for writers serve their readers. Mm -hmm. I loved that call to action because we've been explicitly studying films every week for uh, two years, right? May will be two years. And film is such a natural medium for me to experience. And it's since we can really study global storytelling. And so then when I when, when I am reading, I'm usually reading client work, right? So it was really great. I really appreciated that call to action. But I could tell that I think part of maybe what happens for me, my resistance that comes up when the prompt to read, read, read is I already feel so behind. There's so many things to read and I'll never be as well read as so-and-so. And it makes me feel paralyzed. And like, there's such a learning curve just to take in all of the great voices and what I realize, I feel like it kind of it thematically goes with anything, like just begin where you are, right? Like I don't have to have read every classic. I, there, there's no possible way to read everything. So, but whatever you are taking in, be intentional about what it is and just begin, right? Like it's what my dentist always tells me about flossing, right? Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about all the times you haven't been doing it, Kim. Just start today. Start today, right? And so floss one tooth. What is that? Tim's little like, read one page, floss one tooth. You know, I know that uh, a lot of us creatives, we, we're really hard on ourselves and um, we really want everything to be so excellent and, and perfect and whatever that means. And I know that it makes me feel like a failure. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so so not being a voracious reader has been, a, you know, it's a badge of shame. I mean, I love reading, but I can really see now shifting over to really being intentional about taking in the written word, not just global storytelling, because I think that's almost become a crutch, right? Like, oh, all the story principles applied everything, and which is true. But now that I've learned global storytelling up to this certain point. I'm really excited to shift to explicitly learning the micro side of the line by line and the narration and the point of view and the, you know, there's all these other pieces that you can only really get when you look at the written word. I had to change it in my head though. So rather than feeling like a failure, right? Like to feel like an explorer and yeah, just permission to begin wherever you are. The same way that we began with studying macro storytelling. I was a voracious reader for most of my life until, you know, along came smartphones, right? And distraction and that sense of mental inability to focus long enough to read. And so getting reading back into my life has been a goal for some time. And after Sean talked about it, you know, his phrase, you are not well read enough, went right into my heart because I have lost the thread of what's being written and read today. One thing that I have found really useful is to sort of load my Kindle with several very different things, including some nonfiction, like Sean has shown us, you know, reading nonfiction in the realm of brain science or sociology or politics can all help your writing. They all help us as editors and they help us as writers, just understanding the mind and the world in a different way, as well as just reading fiction. So I try to stock up and have at least four to six different books on the go at any time. So when it's reading time, it takes a certain amount of discipline to say, 
say, okay, I'm going to go to bed half an hour early. I'm going to lie there and I'm going to read. And it's okay to switch from one to another, to read one page of this and one page of that. It's like flossing one tooth. But I'm going to read for half an hour and I'm not going to force myself to read something that I'm feeling distracted from. But rather than distracting myself by picking up my phone or turning on Netflix or something, I will go to one of the other books. So I go from Anne of Green Gables to some feminist tract and then to something by Steven Pinker and then back to some children's book that you know, is really fun and enjoyable to read. And then to one of the novels that one of the story grid editors has written and published. It doesn't have to be like targeted on, I must read the Russians. I don't want to read the Russians. I don't have to read the Russians. It's okay, as long as I keep reading. I've always been an editor. I moved into nonfiction books probably five or six years ago. I swore off fiction. It's too complicated. There's no way. Like, it's squirrely. I don't want to touch it. And then I read Story Grid and was like, oh, maybe, maybe it's not so squirrely. Maybe it's possible. <laughs> For me, there's a real line in the sand, a real dividing line between everything I read and even films I watched before Story Grid and everything after. Because it's not just a matter of reading, it's reading actively. And by that, I mean, as you're reading a novel, pay attention to when the inciting incident kicks in. Or when you get to the end of the novel, reflect back on the story you just read and think, I wonder what the global inciting incident of that story was. Or looking at a scene. So when you read a scene, pause and think, what shifted in that scene? Or better yet, like this is a rule that I've given myself, especially since becoming a story grid editor. If I'm reading a book that I don't like, I'm not allowed to put it down until I figure out what isn't working for me. That's a great rule. Yeah. I mean, you know, life is short. Don't waste it reading crap, seriously. But if you can figure out what isn't working, then you've learned something. There's a, a trilogy that I was reading, very popular trilogy. The first book was kind of cute. The second book, I really struggled to get into the story and I had to stop and think why. And when I figured it out, I put it down. And as it happened, Leslie had read the same trilogy. The same thing happened to her in the second book. She just couldn't get through it, put it down. So as, as story grid editors, but for me, I'm also an author, reading in this sort of active way is worth its weight in gold. We no longer can afford to be passive consumers of story. Because if we are, we're not going to level up. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, it's great. So you're all the way from Germany. So why were you like, I've got to be in that room? Like, what was that? Well, through self-editing my own novel, I found that editing is really the thing where my heart is, what I really want to do with my life. And I think I just, I really want to bring that story grid to German authors and help them with that mythology to write better novels. I really appreciate, Anne, like what you're saying, the the permission to just read a page or, you know, just set a time and making it, you know, approachable. And I was realizing another problem, you know, I mean, I have small children and it's been a very interesting transition period of life. And so movies have been my escape from reality, but I get to call it studying story because I absolutely <laughs> do, right? Like that's the way I watch movies. So now just, just taking that same intention, right? And just intentionally focusing on the written word. I'm so excited. All sense of failure has left because, you know, it's not like I'm not reading. It's just, there's always that, oh, but I'm not reading enough or I'm not doing enough, whatever it or is. I'm not reading hard enough stuff or I'm not reading old enough stuff or something like that, right? Yeah, right, right. Insert whatever that qualifier is and it always feels like you're falling short. Being able to slough all of that heady drama that's attached to it off and just realize, oh yeah, this is my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Of course, I'm so excited to do this. And now I get to call it work and I get to set it aside and I give myself permission to take time just to read and not feel like I have to be performing in some other way. So all of that stuff is really, really helpful. I, I appreciate chatting and talking it out. I decided to become a story grid editor because there's been no storytelling methodology that I think has compared to it. I've studied stories for about 10 years now. I studied film in college and then just continued my practice afterwards. And I discovered the story grid book about eight months ago. 
and I just fell in love with it and it amazes me that every time I go and research something else about the story grid or listen to one of the podcasts I learn something new and you get to this point when you study storytelling every single day of your life that you feel like you can't learn anymore and the story grid teaches you something else and I just had to be a part of that. I have a question for everybody because I'm curious what your answers will be. Now that you're StoryGrid editors, has what you're reading changed? Or do you have a genre that you read in that is just for fun and you give yourself permission to not be an editor, to just be a reader? And can you turn it on? Can you turn it off? Well, for me, the just being a reader part seems to land mostly in the nonfiction area because then my on-duty light is off because I don't edit nonfiction and I don't try to write nonfiction except blog posts, which whether they're fictional or not mm-hmm. is you know, sort of another question. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that I was going to say related to that is as I have expanded my reading into some areas, like I'm reading some murder mysteries that's just not my cup of tea, right? And it's really helping me define who I am as an editor because there are things that I enjoy reading more because they're sort of closer to my heart, you know, my mental and emotional DNA or something. And that's really probably a good indicator of, of the kinds of things that I'm always going to be more comfortable editing for other clients. Okay. So crime stories are what I read for comfort because, well, lots of reasons, (laughs) discrete problems that are solved in a relatively brief amount of time. And so I'm able to turn off the editor in my brain pretty frequently while I'm reading those particular types of stories. But what I find is that everything that I take in is being added to the big ball of knowledge and connections are being made all the time, whether I'm aware of it or not. And so I get the benefit of it, even if I'm reading kind of casually but the the really cool thing i think about all the studying we've been doing and that includes of course the round table and all the movies we've watched is that i've watched movies i never would have watched and then gone on to read things as a result that i never would have read because you guys pushed me outside my comfort zone and i've found so many very cool stories just doing that. And so I appreciate you all so much for that. We've really challenged each other and ourselves in our movie selections. And that's been a real step towards what Kim was talking about. If if I can tackle this difficult movie or this movie that I didn't especially want to watch, then I can do the same thing with my reading. And I needed that bridge somehow. It's really, it's really helping me. By the time the week is over, what do you hope to come away with? Mostly, I am very excited that we did this in person because it was terrifying to me because I'm an introvert, like a lot of writers and editors. And I'm just excited to have such a great community of people who support each other the way you just did just now. Yeah, I I would say that's been my experience. I feel like what I watch and what I read is so much more varied than it has ever been in my whole life. There's like, you know, your different kinds of readers, like the people who will just read anything because they just love reading. And then the people who have just very distinct taste. And like, if it's not this perfect thing, they're like, it's not worth my time to do. So that was the way I always was. I wanted to love it. And if I didn't love it, I was like, I'm not even going to read it. And I had very specific tastes, you know, of what I really wanted. And I didn't, I don't know that I even knew really what they were. I just knew it when I saw it. And I used to feel like I couldn't quit a book if I started it. Like that was some sort of failure. Oh, you can quit books. You can quit books. Lots of perfectionism failing. Oh my gosh. We're really unpacking a lot of shit today, you guys. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> I was getting stuck all the time and I didn't understand why. And I would know something didn't work, but I didn't understand why it didn't work. So it was just this constant trial and error, and it really brought so much clarity to the whole process. I think it's helped me to gain some psychological distance from my own process, because it can be such an emotional process. So getting deep into that technical stuff, it's like, okay, there are steps to this. I can just work through this.
So now I feel so much more at liberty to pick things up, to explore them because exactly what Leslie's saying, because I know I'm going to learn. And so the fact that I give myself permission to learn from everything, that's the reason to do it in its own right. And so I don't have to necessarily like it for my own taste because I still like it because I'm learning. That's a great point. I never used to read fiction and I've got just stacks and stacks of nonfiction books on everything from, you know, psychedelics to business to, you know, how nuclear disasters happen, you know? So I just was not a big fiction fan. And so one of the things that that this has allowed me to do is I read a lot more fiction now and I read fiction that just interests me. So if I pick something up and I'm like, this is just not working for me, I have one of two questions asked. One, is it just, I just don't like the genre or two, is it just doesn't work? So, so I'll pick something up that I've never had interest in or whatever. I'll read some of it and I'll be like, nah, not for me. And I'll move on. But there's been times where I've actually found books, especially fiction books that I'm like, oh, I'm kind of into it. So now my world sort of opened up. And what's really great about that is that especially what I do for a living, a lot of times people are like, oh, you got to read all these, you know, lean startup and all the growth hacking, entrepreneurial, blah, blah, blah stuff that, you know, everyone just sort of like cookie cutters out. And what I've found is that my reading of fiction has actually, one, helped me become a way better writer of nonfiction, hands down. This is just the most revelatory thing I've ever, you know, experienced. Awesome. Like, wow, I can, I can, I can write really quick and I can write better stories. And then the other thing is, is that I actually am more interesting at cocktail parties, <laughs> which I never <laughs> used to be. Because if, if you were to go to a cocktail party for a bunch of entrepreneurs in a room, it is just abysmal because all everyone talks about is growth hacking and I'm crushing it and the one metric that matters and my minimum viable product. And like now I want to puke. I mean, I wrote a whole book on how to be an entrepreneur, right? So for me, this is like a revelation. I actually like to talk about it more and find it interesting to see what other people read because you know, maybe it's something I might be interested in. Maybe it's something that will give me some insights. And, and I mean, there's always some truth in fiction. I don't remember the real term that people use, but life and how people have interacted throughout the years and the stories we tell each other really do have meaningful application to life. And there's just so many stories that I've now started to read and as my diversity of thought and reading has expanded, you know, I th think more about stuff and, you know, maybe because I'm of the age where this is the time where I start <laughs> thinking about, about life, but. Uh, middle yeah, age, isn't like, it fun? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty actually, what's interesting about it, it's I'm a lot more calm. <laughs> I used to be a lot less calm. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. But I do think the leveling up your craft and having that continuous scholarship and learning and not resting on your laurels and even us looking at different other methods besides the story grid. It's a, it's just a beautiful thing. I read more fiction now because of the story grid and, and actually because of you guys too, because I'm like, oh man, I got to level up against these, <laughs> these, these, these <laughs> like every day. It's like, okay, what do I got to read more about to, to understand more? So I've been an editor for 10 years. And I came across it a couple of years back and I, I think it must have been a, a simple question I was asking. Maybe I was trying to analyze a genre and I ended up coming across one article and it sort of spiraled and I went down a rabbit hole and I've been using this system with my clients for the last two years. So hands down, I find that using the story grid has meant that I can be a bit more precise about the next steps that an author has to take. Valerie, I know you and I both have some thoughts about, you know, we went to this training thinking it was going to be more or less the same as the training that we attended and got certified at. And it was really different. I know you had a few things to say about some of the differences and and the experience of like, no, this isn't just a repeat. No, it really wasn't. You know, and it's interesting because, yes, we had 29 new people come to train, but also 10 of the original group came back for more training, you know, the five of us plus five others. And Michonne did a lot of work to add new material. And I was curious to see what the new material would be. He had 
200 scenes for us to analyze. Our training binder is 261 pages. I mean, I'm going to be going for, through this for a while and looking back at the training videos to really absorb all the information. And see, here's the thing. Story grid is not for lightweights, right? It's not for some, it really isn't. If you think you can pick up the book and flip through it and be done, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> you really are. And that's okay. When I say it's not for lightweights, I don't mean that as a criticism. I just mean that as, a, as an explanation as to why it can be so hard to understand when we first approach it. You've got to really focus on this. And listening to Sean, yes, but listening to the other nine editors who returned and the 29 new editors who have shown up, listening to the types of questions that they have, how they're approaching it, because everyone has a different background and, and are bringing something a little different to this. This is not a science. You know, this is not math. In math, one and one is two. It's not two and a half. It's not 2.1. It's two. That's it. Well, that doesn't exist here. So, I mean, we already talked about the importance of constantly studying. We really have to do that to constantly give ourselves a deeper level of understanding of not only the, the structure of story, but the purpose of story. So when I was sitting there in that room, I was a little calmer. When I went in 2017, I mean, I was on high alert the whole week, right? I didn't know what was going <laughs> to yeah. happen. I was, you know, my, my mind was wide open. I was trying to take in every single thing. Well, this time, some of it was a repeat, which was fine because you can never hear this stuff too much. So I was a little calmer that way. And because I'd been through the experience once, I knew what to expect. But that didn't mean I got to sit back and relax. I didn't take as many notes this time, only because I had crushed my hand right before I came. So writing was very difficult. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, yeah, I dropped a weight at the gym. I squat my fingers between uh, two 50-pound weights. It was not fun. Ooh. Yeah. But hey, I got a PB that day, so it's all good. <laughs> there you uh, go. You know, the iron, right? the iron never lies. That's right. Way to, way to crush it. <laughs> so the other thing that was really different this time is that we had voices from all over the world. Yeah. Can you tell me your name and where you're from? My name's Abigail Perry and I'm from Massachusetts. My name is Brandon Surratt and I'm from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'm Melanie from Germany. Catherine Lunardin and I'm from Toronto. Celeste Sharp, I'm from the greater New York area. Okay, so tell me your name. Christy Mosheri. And where are you from? Michigan. My name is Paul Bovici and I'm from London. I'm Danielle Kioski. I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. My name is Griffin, Griffin Gardner. I'm from Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes. My name is Larry Pass, and I'm a New Yorker currently in New Mexico. My name is Mai Wynn, and I'm from Philadelphia. I'm Rebecca Olson. I am from Salem, Oregon. Mark McGinn from Christchurch, New Zealand. Stephen Bradley. I'm originally from New York, but I live in Colorado now. I'm Marissa Frosch, and I am from New Hampshire. My name is Tanya. I'm living in Toronto, but I grew up in England. Now, before this, I was the only StoryGrid editor who was outside the United States. And there, you know, that made me a little special, but it was also kind of lonely out here being the only <laughs> one to spell with you. You make yourself special, Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a special snowflake. And doggone it, people <laughs> like you. That's right. <laughs> you, you like tee that one up perfect. <laughs> you know, it, but we have a different take on story, on life, on everything. So now we have, I can't remember the, how many people exactly, but we've got three more people from Canada. I'm so excited. You just have no idea. There were a couple of people there from the UK, from Italy, Germany, Sweden, and one guy came all the way from New Zealand. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. And when we spoke to them, especially about midweek, I think, those who spent, you know, I mean, it was an expensive course to begin with, and then that that amount of airfare and coming, you know, exchanging foreign currency and all those extra expenses, they all said it was so worth every penny and 10 times yeah, as many pennies. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And didn't you guys feel that way, though, when you did your training originally? Oh, oh totally. Yeah. Totally. You came all the way from New Zealand. 
tell me, was it what you expected? Was it worth the trip? Fuck yes. <laughs> it was a fantastic week. The guys are so competent, so professional and so engaging. And so it wasn't just the content, it was about the presentation and it was about mixing with the other authors and the other story grid editors. It's been a wonderful week. How do I put this articulately? Like it costs money and sacrifice to be here. It wasn't something that I could just like do on a whim. And I knew that it was going to be valuable. But when I sat there, I had this moment in like the first hour, first half hour of the first day, when I realized it was worth, I mean, I, what, paid $6,000 to be here? I could have paid sixty. Wow. And I would have felt like that would have been valuable to me. And part of it was I felt like some of the things that Sean's been talking about are speaking directly to me in the place that I'm at in my life. But aside from that, it's just, it was everything I was hoping to get in terms of tools to keep me moving the needle forward on the process of my own writing and my own like pursuing this dream of telling a, an effective story. How has the experience been for you this week? What do you think of it? Oh, it's been amazing. It's exceeded my expectations. It's been life-changing even. I would say my big aha moment this week relates to the why of my being here. You know, I've been a worker writer my whole life, but have struggled to do the one thing I want to do is write a novel because I didn't know what the job was. I'm even more convinced that I can do this because what Sean does is put forward a method and a system of analysis and a system of understanding story structure that is accessible and applicable. And I don't think anyone else has done this. So my big aha moment, really, I I kind of knew that I could do it. I'm even more convinced, but I'm also now convinced that anyone with hard work, a little humility, (laughs) can do this. If you really want to level up your craft, do it. And it was worth it to me to, you know, fly back, get a hotel for a week, all of that to to be part of it in the room. Yes, there will be videos and I can take a course sitting in front of my computer. It is not the No, same. it's the energy in the room that you tack energy into. Energy in the room. I mean, yep. it's it's like any conference. I mean, the real ahas are at the break my <laughs> experience. And and making connections. Yeah, mm-hmm. listen, 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 then you talk and you'll, hey, let's go get some coffee. Those were all my aha moments at the breaks. No offense to Sean and Tim, because I think what, what happens is, is they spark this thinking about it. They're sort of like the catalyst. And then you go and when you talk with one-on-one with people in little groups, then you start to synthesize. And I you know, talked with lots of people at lunch and the discussions were just really at another level. They were just so engaging and everyone just was there for the scholarship and had a really good take on it and just really like on it. Yeah, a whole room full of story nerds, right? I mean, it was just incredible. I mean, who the heck else wants to talk to you about value shifts? Right, and they were all in. You're right, (laughs) Anne, they were all in. You know, I was really interested, Kim, you mentioned something about the abundance mindset that I I heard him talk about, but I didn't bring it home quite the way you did. And I wondered if you could kind of remind me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, and I think it begins with all these things we're talking about. Sean's, the way that he approaches story and the way that he approaches his gift, right, of continuing to always be searching at the edge of his skill set and always be going deeper into his own knowledge. We descend into the unknown and we return, right, with this with this information and that he's always going to share it, right? And he doesn't hoard his knowledge or information or his expertise. He's generously sharing. That's why the original Story Grid book, it's blog. You can go read it for free on the website or you can buy the really pretty bound copy. But, you know, it's out there because there's no scarcity mindset, right? It's this abundance mindset that both him and Tim intentionally have and have intentionally teamed up about. And they talked about it specifically with the publishing model. And and I can just see how that really is a guiding principle of everything that they do. So 
I think it really helped all of us returning people, the 10 that were there and then the nine that weren't able to make it. We knew when we were in the room that this was something special. And just in our own tenacity, there's a tendency to want to safeguard it and to keep it secret, keep it safe, right? Like to keep it, you know, to keep it this kind of like, we want, you know, because you want it to be so great and you, you just don't ever want it to get watered down and, you know, all of these things. And so I know that when we found out like, okay, we're going to bring on more people and we're going to expand it. There's some like, well, what's that going to be like? I've had to go through a few blended family models and you never know what it's like when you get new people, you know? <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and so what I love is that kind of, you just go along for the ride. You trust your mentors that they have a vision with what they're doing. And there is so much ground to cover. There's so much to learn about stories bringing in 29 new people, all it does is make us better. And that was one thing I realized almost just after day one, the caliber of the people in the room was outstanding. Nobody was here for a free ride. Everybody had done their homework and went through all of the courses just to get here. And then I've shown up with everything they have. So that was really reassuring to me. You're right. There is room because that means everybody can kind of find their own study groups and your other niche study groups. I know Abigail and I really want to look at strong women's voices, you know, strong women characters and find those kind of masterworks. And so finding the people that you really want to go crazy with, I mean, everybody benefits. And so just from a content perspective, you know, the fact that all all of us, you know, we blog for free, we do this podcast for free, but we just, we know that by rolling up our sleeves and doing the work and then sharing it widely, that helps everybody rather than hoarding it all behind a paid a paid door. You know, it isn't to say that there aren't going to be certain things that you have to pay for because that way you'll value them more if you pay for them, right? Which is almost more the point. And so when it comes to the content and when it comes to bringing on more editors, just having that abundance mindset. And then I know that Sean and Tim, they're expanding the StoryGrid universe to include publishing, right? And the way that it's going to be this meritocracy and everything is going to be about having stories that perform at the highest level. And we can tell because we have this method that we can take the subjective and make it objective. And we're not going into it with this scarcity mindset. They're going at it with this abundance mindset. There's room in the publishing world for more storytellers, right? More content has is being made now than has ever been made before. More TV shows, more streaming, more books online, more books are being bought. So just the fact that nothing about the storytelling world is shrinking, if anything, it's just expanding and that there's room for all of us creators to, to find our home within it. And it doesn't have to be the rat race to the bottom kind of thing, that it really can be find what is valuable to you, show up, do the work and give generously and bring your best self. And that that in itself will lead you to where you're supposed to be. And we don't have to do it as a panic scarcity mindset. So that was just really reassuring for me in all the ways, like as an editor, as a creative who, you know, has been working on her own novel for 15 years and is like, needs to freaking pull the trigger on it and put it out into the world. Um, to ship it, and Kim. Well, yes, you do. Kim. <laughs> I know. So there's something about permission, I think, in it. The fact that it's this abundance mindset, again, permission to just show up where you are right now and give generously of whatever you have and knowing that that in itself is going to grow and come back to you in all kinds of fruitful ways. And it's not about doing one thing perfectly. It's about doing a lot of things the best you can so that you can do the next thing even better and everybody grows and and learns from what everyone else is doing. I had an experience after I got home that kind of quantifies some of what you're talking about, Kim, and Valerie, you too, about different people's approach to studying story and what it really takes. And that was, I was just sitting at my desk sort of staring because I was still (laughs) mentally processed, getting everything that I'd learned, kind of moving it down into implicit memory and all that sort of thing. And so I went on Amazon and I was reading all of the reader reviews of the StoryGrid book. Don't ask me what got me started on this, but I started scrolling through them, right? And I was interested in the one and two star reviews because it's a highly rated book, so I want to see the dissent. And there were basically three forms of one star reviews hated it. The first was, this is a formula and I don't write that way. <laughs> Pardon the voice, but that it has that kind of snippy tone to it. I'm a pantser and I don't <laughs> write this way. And then there were two others. One was, this book does not contain all the answers. 
And the other was, you can get all this stuff for free on his website. Why buy the book? Right. So so it's two different, like all the answers are there. None of the answers are there. That's right. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. really strange. And those people who, who are sorting themselves on the basis of, I bought a book to get all the answers. Or I don't like to spend money on a book because if only I'd known, I would have saved myself $35 on this big, beautiful book. Those people are not part of the tribe. Right. They don't get it. Yeah. Right. And that's fine. That's fine. Not everyone needs to be rabid story grid nerds like the five of us, right? That's that's totally fine. And, you know, maybe might be a little bit healthy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we are a little bit crazy here. Just a little right? bit crazy. Like, we're, just, we're just crazy enough to stay sane. But when I, I, I have a friend of mine who's a romance writer, and she's a pantser, and we've agreed to disagree on this whole story grid thing. <laughs> I tried many times when I discovered it, right? I was evangelical. <laughs> I was going to convert everybody to story grid. And I, I converted nobody to story grid, right. you know, and Vicky just will smile and nod and say, how's it going? She's very happy for me and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't work for her because it's not how she approaches her craft. And that doesn't mean that she's doing it wrong or anything like that. But like I said, Story Grid is not for lightweights. Well, I was just thinking when when Sean made it, he didn't make it for anyone else to use but himself, right. right? Like it was how he needed to understand so that he could communicate to authors. And the authors never needed to see the spreadsheet. I think he said the first person who ever asked him about it or was excited that he had a spreadsheet was Stephen Pressfield. And, you know, they connect on that level. And so that's to me what's really valuable. And I think maybe something that people miss is you don't have to know it to the degree where you could even do everything in order to get stuff out of it, right? Understanding how a scene is supposed to turn will serve you whether you want to ever do a spreadsheet in your life or a pants or a plotter or whatever, like understanding these fundamental core principles of story that I feel like the story grid explains and illustrates in a way that other models just don't seem to communicate it clearly enough to me. I think those principles, every writer of any style can really get on board with your scene needs to do something. We need to have a have a movement in here. But that doesn't mean you have to want to do a fool's cap. That's why we have editing services. Not everybody wants to do it for themselves either. So you can still get the benefit of the system without having to feel like it's impeding on your process. It doesn't make it any less true. Story structure is story structure, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. It starts to feel like flat earthers to me, right? (laughs) That's pretty... Man, that's a jump, but okay, okay. No, I'm serious. People who say there's no such thing as a structure to a story, like, yeah, there is. It's okay. (laughs) Look, everyone has a process that they use to write, even if you're a pantser. I mean, you have to, you have to, like, you can't do anything in the world without a process. You may not like the word. You may get all like fidgety about it. Your process may be somewhat random and change all the time, but that's your process. Like you can't, there's no denying that. The thing that's really valuable is realize that whatever process you do have, you need to get better at your process. So if you are like, hey, I'm a pantser. And all I want to do is like do my thing, man, and like figure out and sit and, you know, smoke a dube or whatever and be creative. (laughs) That's totally fine. Like I I totally get that. I have lots of friends like that. And you know what? There's a certain amount of spontaneity and not being confined by the man and all that sort of stuff. And you may be wildly successful that way. And, And that's good on you, you know? But the thing I found, and I found this through all sorts of different disciplines, not just writing, but throughout all the creative people that are either going to put their art in the world or going to make money at it or going to have some sort of success. They all have a process that's for them worked and well-defined, but not only do they have a process, but that process produces and that process produces things that people want to read or consume or buy. And depends on what you want to do with your life. You don't have to sell your art. I mean, some people just like to do art to do art. And that's wonderful. But if you want to be a professional writer or you want to be a professional anything, you need to find the best frameworks, process, procedures, whatever, learn from them and figure out how to crank out your art or your product that people are going to ultimately want to buy. And that sounds probably a little crass, but I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I think. 
I mean, that's, <laughs> I can't think any other way. I'm sorry. You know, it's all about what you really want to get accomplished. And if you're frustrated and you're like, well, I do all this stuff and no one reads my stuff or it's just harder for me to create or, 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 or maybe you do need to do something different. doesn't mean that you're, what you're doing is wrong. Just, you're not, if you're not hitting your goal, you got to change it. I mean, change something about how you get there. For people listening to the podcast who are thinking about attending a StoryGrid event or maybe taking one of the StoryGrid courses, what advice would you have for them? Well, they've just got to do it. I mean, it's, it, I was just saying to Sean, you know, I've talked to people about StoryGrid and they said, what is it? I said, well, it's fundamentally about structure. Oh, you mean the beginning, middle and end? Yeah, but it's a lot more than that. And you, until you really have a look at the videos, have a look at the materials, go on the website, you actually don't see the value it brings to the author's life. It is way more than just beginning, middle and end. People at different times have asked me, have I made back the financial investment that I made in the StoryGrid editor certification? And I have, but the intangible benefits that I've gotten from going through the training have been far and away more beneficial, advantageous, wonderful than simply I've gotten enough business through the StoryGrid site to recoup my financial investment. And part of that is, of course, getting to work with you all every week and, and study stories and, and really to continue to try to get to the bottom of what what stories are, why we need to tell them all of that. How can we best support the writers we're working with? And of course, the other editors that we get to interact with, but it's those relationships and then the knowledge and the means of working and the inspiration and, you know, having a mentor who really not only cares about us, well, two mentors, I should say, um, who really, really care about us and want to see us succeed and are inspiring us in the way that they are pursuing their own knowledge, like I mentioned earlier, but also just the way that they work, the way that they engage with us, the way they engage with the world. And all of that is just, I mean, it's changed my life in big ways and small ways that I can't imagine being without now. And I'm not trying to sell anyone on the, the certification training. I guess what I'm saying is that when you have opportunities that call to you, grab on with both hands and don't let go because it's so wonderful. And even if it doesn't turn out perfect, or even if there are hard things along the way, you'll be so much better off for taking the chance and pursuing it because you just gain so much more than you put into it when when that happens. I, I know that when we talk about status sentimental stories, Leslie, we always say that a huge part of the status sentimental protagonist is having enough sophistication and enough strength of will to listen to the mentors, right? And I feel like that is something that I know for the the 19 and the 29 and, and a lot of our clients that were on our status sentimental arc because we have found our mentors. We have enough sophistication. We're not completely sophisticated yet, but we have enough sophistication and enough strength of will to pay attention and to listen and to do the work that's needed to go to the next level. And I will use every internal genre as a metaphor at some point by the end of season four. <laughs> well, for me, here's the thing that hooked me on StoryGrid, okay? It's like a secret decoder ring. When I was trying to write my first book, I kept running into one brick wall after another. The story that was in my head was not the one that was coming out on paper. And I didn't know why. I didn't even have the language of works doesn't work. And I, I spent a lot of money on editors, like a lot of money on editors and, and writing classes, like storytelling classes. I'd been writing professionally for 20 years, so I certainly had a, a mastery of the language. But just because you're literate doesn't mean you can write a novel, <laughs> right? So when I came to StoryGrid, it was like, oh, this is, this is it. This is what I'm trying to do. So now that I have a certain competency in the methodology, and I still have a lot to learn, I know that, but I, 
I've at least reached base camp <laughs> on my level of knowledge. I, it's, I feel almost like I have a superpower because now when I pick up a novel and read it, it's no longer this mysterious, magical thing. I can see the craft working. And it's made me a very discerning reader because the authors who really know what they're doing, boy, it, I can see it. And you can appreciate it in a totally new way, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I've really still, after two years of constant study, I feel like I've only just scratched the surface. I have a, an understanding of the fundamentals and there's so much more to learn. And it's very exciting to me. You know, my friends all say, well, you work too much. You work too much. And I, I say to them, yeah, but yes, technically I'm working, but part of my work is to read a novel. And I was doing that before and feeling guilty about it because I, you know, was doing it at my desk <laughs> in a cubicle because I was bored out of my tree. Now I sit down and read a novel and this is actually work. Right, I'm, this is stuff I'm doing anyway because I'm very passionate about it and I love it. So, man, I'm I'm in hook, line, and sinker. I feel like that goes with the abundance model of the fact that no matter how much you study, no matter how much we learn, no matter how many stories we take in, there's always more, right? And I think you know the fact that Sean recognizes that and actively pursues that. And here's the next nugget of information I found. Chuck it back to the tribe. Keep going. You know, like the fact that there is no there is no end point and that no one is ever going to know it all because there's always innovation. There's the literary style and the needs of our culture change over time, even though those fundamental principles of story stay the same. So I just I love that. I love that the puzzle is never going to be completely solved. It's exciting. It's exciting to me. You know what made a difference for me in understanding this thing about becoming an expert and gain, well, let's say gaining expertise. I grew up in a family of visual artists and we would go to art museums and the painters in the family would be looking at paintings and talking about the that brushstroke or the way this oil painting was glazed or something about the craft itself, the practice of the craft, because they practiced it themselves so they could look at even old masters and see the brush strokes, right? Or the whatever, the how they mix the colors. I don't know, stuff like that. I'm not, an, I'm not a visual artist. And it's the same with us. With You know, we have been practicing this craft, This not just the craft of writing, but the craft of reading, right? Of reading a story and understanding it. And I can pick up a book and sort of see the brush strokes now. And does it ruin stories for me? Hell no, I still won't notice the brush strokes if I'm into the story. It just helps me see... If I'm not into the story, if it's like boring me or I'm not engaged, it helps me see exactly why not. And it's always fascinating because then I can take this to my clients and I can say, this is exactly why this doesn't quite work yet. You can fix it this way. Yeah, like when it's a master expert in in their craft, sometimes the brushstrokes are just as beautiful as the whole painting or whatever. You're just like, oh man, look at that. <laughs> it's right, so, right. You so can appreciate great. the those um, approaches to craft that the ordinary consumer, quote unquote, might not know or care about or notice or need in any way, but they're okay. there. It's exciting work to be to get to be a part of. It really is. So closing thoughts. I'm just so excited that Kim has not had a click this entire time. Hi. <laughs> okay. So, so everyone, I, I have to tell this story for all of you listening. I'm sure you've noticed over the last two years of podcasts that my laptop was not the best quality and my USB drive where we plug in our mics was a little fidgety and would click. And so I would have to hold it in with one hand and read off of my phone and the other. Anyway, and my amazing, I'm not going to cry about it. My amazing round tablers <laughs> surprised me in Nashville with a brand new laptop and I sobbed like a baby <laughs> and I've just had the most fun working on it since then. So today is our first recording using the new laptop and Anne, I'm going to need some applause and cheering uh, sound effects. I, I have lots right of <laughs> I'm so, so grateful and I know our listeners are really grateful too. But yeah, it's just amazing. It's amazing. Well, I know I speak for the rest of us when I say I feel lucky and privileged to be able to do something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We yeah. didn't hesitate. You are more than worth it. 
Let me tell more you. More than worth it. I'm totally. just so, totally. so glad. Okay, shut up. Shut up. I'm going to cry. Okay, so when you give someone a gift and, you know, when they're really cool about it and they go, oh, yeah, well, that, that's great. Yeah, thanks. Like, it's sort of deflating. But no, when you give Kim a gift, it's wonderful. There's waterworks. There's there's just too emotional to speak. And there's hugging. hugging. And <laughs> laughing. It's yeah, the best gift giving. It is, it is just magical. Well, you're welcome. Give <laughs> back to us. Happy I can help you with that. <laughs> okay, so now that we're all back from Nashville, we're back at our desks. We're back to work. What are the marching orders we have for ourselves moving forward? Reading, 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 reading. Yeah, reading more. That's certainly mine. And we have some new writing assignments. Some of us got some new writing assignments. Uh, reading more, which I've already started. I've finished three books since I got back. I am fully accepting, at long last, Tim's suggestion to narrow my focus. And so I am doubling down on action stories and how they interact with the internal genres, because those are really the stories I love best, those primal stories with, um, you know, with a strong internal genre. And so that's going to be my focus going forward. And so reading and watching a lot of those stories. And so if you have suggestions, of course, I am all ears. Well, I mean, for me, my, my marching orders are to, uh, I mean, read, continue to read uh, more fiction in different genres, continue to obviously work on my own writing, both nonfiction and fiction and memoir, and just continue to write more and more. I think I may start writing novels, so that'll be kind of fun, just kind of kind of fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have an imagination, so I'll have to figure out how to use it. Entrepreneurs are very imaginative. Yeah, but we always like have an end game. Like, how, how can we make how can we make millions <laughs> of people okay. buy our crappy shit? Oh, that'll be fine you know? as a novelist. <laughs> That's probably true too. <laughs> That's why uh, Valerie is studying narrative drive. I'm pretty sure it's the same motivation. How do we make people really want to read this thing? I will. I will say that the one thing that is the hardest thing to do, and I'm sure you guys probably all would agree with this, is to promote yourself. And yeah. I mean, I do promotions for a living. My job is to make people tell better stories and get more successful. And I, for the life of God, cannot do that for myself. So one of the things I'm going to do is I'm going to give either give myself permission to do it for myself, or I'm actually going to hire someone to do it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but, but as I know as writers, and, and a lot of people have talked with us and with me about this, about you know, how to promote yourself and how to be that person that kind of feel a little slimy sometimes. And even as an entrepreneur and even as someone that it, that does this for a living, it's hard to do it for yourself. And you, you're not that person. You're not going to, don't, don't feel like people think you're, you know, this awkward, weird, self-promoting a-hole. That I think giving yourself permission to promote what you do. If you're proud of your art, then you should promote it. And it may seem a little awkward at times, but let me tell you, everyone feels awkward about it or most people that have a conscience feel awkward about it. So just go out there and promote your good work. I feel like it's part of the, here we go, internal genre metaphor, but it's part of the morality testing triumph story where basically your job is you have got to show up with your gift, not for yourself, but for your tribe, for your community, for other people, for all of humanity, right? So when you create something, you're creating it for it to do something for someone else. And so as writers, we we write stories for them to be read. And if we're not <clears throat> putting them out into the world, Kim, then people can't read them. <laughs> so giving yourself permi- permissions, man, every time we have these sort of existential talks, that always comes back. You know, that's really fundamental for me. I think something permission to be your big, loud self and your super passionate self or your 
imperfect self or whatever it is. And that, yeah, promoting it is basically just sharing it, right? It's just saying like, hey, I, what does Seth Godin always say? Hey, I made this. And it's just this idea of sharing your gift because it's going to help one other person or it's going to help a tribe of people or or whatever. And if you don't do it, if you withhold it, if you hide the gift and you hoard it, right, then that is actually a morality testing a surrender story. And that's where you actually said, I'm being really generous by giving other people room so that they can share their thing. So it's it's selfishness masked as altruism, right? So not only is it okay, but it's it's necessary. Like we need you to do it. I need I need what Valerie's writing. I need what Anne's writing. I need what Leslie's writing. And I need what Jari's writing. And I'm going to fundamentally believe that they need what I'm writing too, because that's the truth. Whether whether it's comfortable or not, it's the truth. Boy, that is really beautiful. That's wonderful, Kim. Thank you. And for more ideas on how to market your work, check out the Book Launch Show podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is fabulous. fantastic, so good. I am I am sweating blood on that podcast, so I hope it's helpful to people. It is very helpful. Good it's job. it's good excellent. Work. Yes, book booklaunchshow.com, Right? Yes. There you go. Little little plug for your great work on. Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <sighs> well, that wraps it up for this week, I think. Thank you, everybody, for a great conversation. Anything else before we before we close up? Here? Nothing else from me. Anything from anybody else? Half a warm beer for everybody and uh, <laughs> back to work. And back to work. <laughs> Still fun. Still fun. Still yeah. fun. More fun than ever. More, More fun, fun than, than ever. ever. Amen to that. And that's it for this week, folks. If you have questions about any StoryGrid topic, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter at StoryGridRT. Better still, go to StoryGrid.com resources, click on the Editor Roundtable podcast, and leave us a voice message. We'd love to feature your voice on the show. Support us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you'd like to contact any of us individually, links to our websites are in the show notes. We'll return to our regular story analysis format next week as I make everyone watch Love Actually as a great example of the mini-plot structure. This 2003 who's who of British film acting was written and directed by that champion of love stories, Richard Curtis. And I dare you to walk away from it without singing. Why not give it a look during the week and follow along with us? Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. All right, you guys, we didn't do the checklist. <laughs> we got to talking. We got to talking. Yes, we got to talking.